You're listening to the Hard Money Podcast, hosted by the economic activist himself, founder of Rad Diversified, CEO of Tax Auction Investors, and the visionary behind the American Survivalist Project, Dutch Mendenhall. All right, what's up, everybody? Hard Money Podcast, Dutch Mendenhall here with Ted Repik. Uh, Ted's a friend and investor with us. He's a serial entrepreneur in a successful way. Um, he's gone through different transitions. He's been a successful real estate investor, successful e-commerce. Um, just just a really great, good guy. You know, his, his kids work in his business as a part of his family-based business, but he doesn't treat them like kids. He treats them like professionals, the kind of same way um, with the people that, that are connected to me and family that work with the business. Like I sometimes am harder on them and sometimes might even fire them faster than I would somebody who was, um, you know, brand new working, working with the company. I have less patience for them. I don't know. Um, but anyways, so different topics we're going to talk about today. I'm excited to talk with Ted. Ted, say hi to everybody. Um, tell them, you know, What's up with uh, Rhino? Hey everyone, uh, Ted Repic here. So currently, my the hot project I'm working on right now is e-commerce. Uh, our company's Rhino USA. We do power sports accessories, off-road, Jeep, motorcycle parts, and accessories. Um, been doing this for a few years, so this is what we're hot on right now: e-commerce. Very cool. And and so, Ted, how do you make decisions? I mean, I'm just going to jump into all kinds of different stuff. I mean, I don't even know where, where to start. Do we talk about Afghanistan, COVID? Do we talk about <laughs> how you how you transition from different businesses to different businesses? I mean, I mean, obviously you don't you're not a um, fly by night kind of person, right? You've been on Rhino for what three, four, going on four, four to five years now. Yeah, we're we'll be we'll be tickling five years here in January. So um, yeah, I mean, I jumped in e-commerce in 2014 with another brand called Blockit. And that's kind of where I started in e-commerce. I didn't know anything about it, but um, I'm just, you know, when you're an investor and, and you're, you're knowledgeable, um, you, you always tend to find opportunities. And so 2014, I kind of saw the opportunities with Amazon. I saw what was happening with traditional retail, brick and mortar. Um, and so I decided to jump in. I, I basically uh, took a training class, you know, which most people sometimes shy away from the proposed gurus, but you know, Dutch, you offer a lot of training classes and a lot of people think, you know, why am I going to spend all that money on a training class? I can get free information on YouTube. It's not the same quality information. And uh, so I jumped in with a group called amazing.com back in 2014, paid them something like five or six grand for a training program. Um, and it's been all up and to the right since then. So having a good time. My son started this company we're in now. I jumped in as a partner and, um, Things are going great. Cool. So with, there's so much noise though, right? So like maybe we'll dive down the thought leader path a little bit, right? It's just one of the paths that are out there, right? And so free free can suck, right? And I've had people who want to work for me for free um, in order to learn. I've had different things. And, and I think free sometimes is, is can be challenging. Um, but we, we believe, you know, on our end, like we'll, we'll give, we just give away information. We give away education. We give away training. And... The problem is, is people pay 10 grand somewhere else for training and it's not nearly even as close to as good. Right. And then they don't know the difference and that, that there, therein lies the challenge. Right. And so then we, we have to charge for it because there's, 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 there's no way we can, you know, do some of the things we do to charge for it. But then we just started doing partnership and deals. Right. And so that was our thing is like, if you're going to pay us money, you're going to make money, you know, with us doing training and education, the, it, it's just so much noise. Like, how do you separate out like you, somebody with a lot of experience can separate out the difference between noise and, and reality and, and bullshit and not bullshit. Right. And your wife actually helps you separate that out too. Um, as you told me, you know, um, I mean, tell people a little bit how you do, how do you do that? How do you do that? Cause there's so much junk out there and, and it, it frustrates the heck out of me that people can't understand the difference and it's not their fault that they can't understand the difference just because there's so much noise. Well, uh, I would say you know, back, to comment on, on charging for education, I think, and I'm, I may be a different person, you know, I believe um, you get what you pay for. So, you know, value isn't always cost. And so um, when you don't charge somebody for the information, they apply a value to it that is less than the true value of what it is. Um, and they won't put in the time because they don't have any skin in the game. It's like, you're not going to do a real estate deal with somebody where, they're not going to put any money in the deal. Why would they be motivated? How you got to have skin in the game. The, the biggest financiers in the world know that. 
Uh, you go to finance a house. You got to have at least five, 10, 15. You got to have something in the game uh, to be vested. So with education, uh, I never look for the cheapest product. I always look for the most value. Um, and, you know, that that comes with what you guys do. I, I, I got into real estate training where I paid $30,000 back in 2011 for training. If you don't think my friends and family thought I was crazy back then, um, but have made you know, literally millions since then uh, with the investing knowledge that I've learned. And so what I tell everybody that works for me, I literally just had lunch with the guys in the other room and I just talked to them about um, investing and, and how knowledge is the real money in the world because the investment game changes. Like today we're investing in, um, you know, we're honestly, we're in the REIT with you. I mean, you mm -hmm. know, this is where we're at now. I wasn't in with you a couple of years ago. I was building my own buildings. Um, I was investing in crypto. I was in, in reinvesting in businesses. Now I feel the best place to park the money is with you and the REIT and some of the JV deals we're doing. And I'm talking to the guys like, how did we find Dutch? How did we find Rad? It's, it, we were looking for opportunities. And so when you're not looking for an opportunity, um, it's like setting goals. You know, most people in life are just kind of driving around in circles. They, they're looking for something, but they don't know exactly what they're looking for. You got to know what you're looking for. You have to have a game plan and a strategy. Um, so those are some of the things like, you know, going through a lot of your trainings. Um, it, it's high quality information. There's value there. And that's, I, I think knowledge is the real money in life. Yeah. I think, I think it's the greatest value that exists period. Right. I look at, um, like I'm looking at office spaces because we're growing and expanding and stuff. And so for me, I go back to, you know, what's my knowledge base on this? What's what's the best way to do it? So what I'll do is I'll take every single office space within the two cities that I, I'm considering and I'll put them on an Excel spreadsheet. Every single one that's listed, every single one that's available, both both for lease and for sale. And so it might be three, three to four hundred, you know, total. And I'll and then I'll map out dollars per square foot against you know, against how long it's been on market. And then I'll start to map the realtors and I'll figure out which realtors suck and which realtors are good and which realtors I can, you know, lowball and which realtors I can't lowball. Right. And, and that's, but that's just like an automatic, like 30 seconds for me strategy on how I'm going to go approach, you know, office space and stuff. And so like when I sit here and talk to someone else that like a great example, like my father-in-law, right. And God bless him. I love him. Right. But you know, they went and bought a mountain, you know, house up in the mountains, you know, for, and they're using it as a VRBO, but also as a secondary, you know, to go up there and spend time with, with the grandkids and stuff, but they just went and bought it retail, you know, and, and I, and, you know, I just bought a house in the same city, you know, at about, you know, about 25% below market and it's a little bit nicer house. And, and I, and I look at it and I'm like, I was just like, just if people don't know what they don't know, I guess they're blind, you know, and knowledge takes off, takes off the blindfold. Um, the blinders for people. I always say, if you want to know if somebody's real, like make sure they're actually doing what they're teaching and then oh. make sure they can prove it. Not, and, and make sure they can prove it over and over, not once, not twice, but, but, but over and over. And those, that's kind of like my read is like, somebody tells me they're teaching e-commerce. I'm going to go and say, okay, what are your, what are, <laughs> give me your e-commerce brands. Show me exactly what these are, where, where are these located? What kind of revenues are they producing? Right. Because I mean, in, when you're running a business, you're, you're, you know, obviously a jack of all trades, right? You're wearing multiple hats. And even if you're not implementing stuff, you you have to at least, you know, be able to know what other people are implementing to know they're, they're doing what they need to be doing and stuff. So now you, you hire, and I remember just conversations about your sons, right? You, you hire people that are very good at being able to go out and put other people to work. Right. And that's kind of a hiring philosophy for you. So talk, tell people about that a little bit. I think that's kind of like a really knowledge bank knowledge piece for people. Well, it's, it's tough to apply that same principle across all businesses because there's a timeline to the business. So mm -hmm. our business right now, we're in scaling mode. Mm -hmm. um, we've proven the proof of concept. We have a brand that, that our customers have affinity for. Now it's just about more products, more people. So we're scaling. Um, so I'm looking to try and hire employees uh, who will be better managers and delegators, not necessarily doers. So I've got a graphic, and actually my son, my son Cameron, um, who is a genius graphic design guy. I mean, he's really, he's so creative and artistic. He's the reason why we're having all the success with Rhino because our graphics, I mean, I'm wearing the shirt, the logo, it's, it's not really impressive here, but 
if all of our packaging is kind of modeled after Apple, you know, bit high perceived value when you receive the product, bright green colors, neon green and uh, flashy graphics and cool. There's a cool factor. People want, people want to be cool and they want their friends to think they're cool. You know, they're the social status. You know, I always use the, the, the shoes here. Like, why are you wearing a $50, $50 pair of Vans when the same exact shoe from China or wherever is 15 bucks for Airwalks? Mm-hmm. And everybody says the same thing. Oh, my friends are going to laugh at me. So you, everybody cares about what other people think. So teaching the guys in here about learning how to delegate, um, you've only got eight hours in a day. If you're managing four people, you can get 32 hours worth of work done as opposed mm-hmm. to you producing eight hours. So that is our strategy now in our scaling mode to find managers that can, that can delegate. Yeah. I mean, we're in scaling mode too, right? But we're a very different business, you know, and, and, and how, how we're built and stuff. And so in scaling mode for me, like one of the things I've really, I really worked towards with each of my people is like, they have to own their portion of the business, right? Whether it's the podcast team or the YouTube team or the real estate guys, you know, doing house flipping in Philadelphia or the real estate team in Tampa doing house flipping or my farm ranch managers in Idaho, they have to own it and it has to become their own you know, I call them significant stakeholders. It has to be more important to them that it succeeds than me, like their own individual right. ownership over their piece. But I do agree with you. Like a lot of them, um, once they understand the business, then I need them to be able to delegate. I need them to go out and, and seek team team members and use outsourcing services and use use different things. I, I like our one of the things, like one of our programmers for one of our, our web stuff, right? He's been he's from India. He's been with us like five or six years and he does really incredible job, you know, programming. And, you know, it's one of the best outsourced, you know, tools we could possibly use, but I'm, you know, to have him go and try and outsource to other people and and different things like it it doesn't compute for him, right? It doesn't, it doesn't work for him and stuff. And so, yeah, it's, it's a constant balancing, finding management or the balance between entrepreneurial spirit and um, rebel, rebel, you know, spirit all at the same time and being able to find people that are passionate about the business. You know, it's fascinating. I was at the the dentist office the other day, right? And it's really interesting because just the complete opposite mindset of mine. And he was like, we were talking about, you know, COVID and different things. And he's like, you know, something that came out is like, I don't have to, you know, if my people have COVID and they're out of, out of work, right? I don't, I don't have to pay them during that time. They can get unemployment or different things. And I'm thinking to myself, my mind just kind of blown. Like, like when my people got COVID, I'm like, how do we take care of them more? How do we go deeper with them and, and stuff. I don't know. Have you guys had a lot of COVID experiences for, for you guys kind of rack through or not really? Um, we've been pretty lucky here. Um, I got it. So, you know, I was traveling and I got COVID. My wife got COVID. Um, we got through it in a week, not a big deal, but uh, no, we, we never slowed down. We never stopped. I told all of our, actually, we lost two employees because they wanted to go take advantage of free money from the government. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's your right. If you want to go on unemployment, it's fine. I still have a job for you here if you want to do the job. Um, But if you go on unemployment, don't come back to me because you won't have a job. And so we lost two good employees who were looking for an easier way to make money. So um, other than that, our people have worked nonstop through COVID. We, we've got a pretty big facility. We've got three uh, flex buildings here in Marietta. Mm-hmm. And so what we did was we have one primary office and the other offices are basically empty. We use the warehouse space primarily. Um, so we allowed the warehouse guys to set up their office, move their computers to one of the other offices. So everybody was social distancing, um, yeah. but still everybody was working. Yeah. I think we've been through different phases with this thing, like different evolutions. So in the beginning it was, you know, Essentially, my philosophy was, if you want to come to work, come to work. If you want to work home from home, work from home, because we have that ability with the way our business runs and stuff. And what ended up happening is um, almost everybody kept coming, kept coming to work. Um, and I, I found that kind of fascinating. It's like, I really don't have people that would rather work from home. Most of my people would want to have a place of work, which is interesting because throughout the country, I know a lot of people are loving working from home. They're really enjoying it and stuff. But I also think that's kind of our culture here. Like we're, they're tied in, like our people, you know, they work well together, the the synergy and those kind of things helps. We went through the first phase was we had a number of people on our marketing team go down with COVID. Um, And then we had the second, second time through, we had a number of people, which we're going through right now on our investor relations team 
uh, all go down, all go down with COVID. And so the first group, I think they all got through it pretty easily. Nobody was, you know, hospitalized. Nobody went through anything. Then, then the second group, uh, which is interesting, which is, you know, half made up of vaccinated people and half made up of non-vaccinated people who all got COVID this time. And, um, the one, one gal, uh, you know, has been in and out of like urgent care, but everybody else has been, been, been pretty good. So we've had, I want to say nine people get COVID one kind of go in and out of urgent care, but she's, she's doing well. Um, but like, we want to step further. Like we have a, a list of vitamins and a list of different things we want to support people with and like different things we think will help people's health and stuff. And so like, we just try to support them and cover all their medical expenses during COVID and stuff. So it, like his mindset of, it's kind of like the people who want to go on unemployment. I, I just, to me, and maybe this is going to come off wrong, right? Being on unemployment when I grew up, and maybe this was my parents' mindset, was almost embarrassing, right? And, and but I don't think necessarily that it should ever be embarrassing because I think when people need a hand, you need to give them a hand. But I don't think people need to, how do you put it? Um, I don't think people need to live off of a handout. <laughs> does that make sense? Like, what do you think? Yeah, of course it does. Yeah. I mean, what do you, what do you think of that subject? Uh, well, I'm not politically correct in, in what I think of it, but um, in, in an effort to... to we don't have just, to be politically right? correct here either, by the way. So. Okay, good, because I'm not. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm an entrepreneur, and when you think... When I, my view is like your view of the world. Um, you know, have you been to a restaurant lately? Have you seen the for help, help wanted signs? Everywhere, um, everywhere. There's a line outside the building, and there's empty tables, but they don't have servers to accommodate. You're, these These people, whoever they might be, who unemployment is meant to help people in times of need. This is not a time of need. This there is are jobs one of the most robust economies in the history of our lifetimes right now. Right. Which is and so what is the the only reason that our GDP is going to stay down and these businesses aren't being profitable is because they they've got stuff to sell, but they can't facilitate it because employees don't want to come back to work. It's horrible. It, it just it's the entitlement mindset coming to life right, right on right in front of all of us. We've but, been talking about it for years and here it is. But you know what I what I love about COVID that is I mean people are like, how do you love something about COVID? I love that my kids are gonna be tougher than the generation above them. Right? Than sure. the people that are fifteen. I mean, maybe fifteen. I mean, teenagers today are probably gonna be tougher than the twenty year olds today. Right? Because the twenty to thirties today are the people that grew up in this from people, you know, they grew up in a life where like they didn't face this kind of stuff. Like my kids pray every day. And when they do their prayers, it's like, I pray that people can get healthier and that people can get better. And I pray for, you know, like that's a general part of my child, my child, children's yeah. toughness. Right. And they know what it's like to have things closed down. They know what it's like to not be allowed to see their friends. Right. And, and that's, it's an interesting thing because they're not going to grow up my kids could grow up very entitled if I let them, right? Because they have, I mean, we, we have abundance, right? And so that's, if you have abundance, it's easy for kids to grow up, you know, entitled that way. And so we have to develop like alternative mindsets, you know, for them and alternative ways for them to learn work ethic and learn how to appreciate things. So, you know, for you, how, your boys are in their 20s though, right? They are. And, and so, so, you know, I, I, one thing I want to say about your comment, I, I'll, and I'll tell you when I disagree with you, I disagree with you on that. And, and the reason I disagree is because you're looking at it from your perspective. And I, I, I you shared mm -hmm. a story with the group. We were in, we were in Boise on that retreat that stuck with me. I think I, I told you the comment. I appreciated the comment because it's things I've taught my kids. Mm -hmm. You said uh, you and the boys, um, you were, you were somewhere and there was a guy playing uh, guitar or something. Mm -hmm. You guys were out in the park and there was a guy playing some music. And you explained to the boys that uh, that was an exchange of value. He, mm -hmm. he provided his art form for your enjoyment. You, you guys got the emotional satisfaction of hearing the art and he was owed something from you. It could mm -hmm. be as simple as a handshake and an appreciation. A smile a and a clap or, or you can give him money too. Yeah. Five bucks. Mm -hmm. Like you understand the reason the guy is there expressing his art is to make a living, right? That's his, that's his, that's how he makes a living. So but explaining to the kids, um, look at, go give that guy some money, not just go give him a handout. That's no. not free. He earned it by, by sharing. There was a, an even exchange of value, which is what 
successful economies are built on, whether it's a, a hamburger for five bucks or a house for a million, it's a fair exchange of value. So you're teaching your kids those concepts. Your kids will be will be tougher. I believe, and my kids are are going to be way tougher. Mm-hmm. I believe the majority of the kids are going to be weaker and mm-hmm. more entitled because they're they're being the protected and sheltered. Mm-hmm. What's that? That's I didn't hear. Because of the government, because of the handouts. Right. They become more entitled. And, and what are they learning? Most. I'm not going to say most. You can't generalize like that. A, a good percentage of the population are teaching their kids. And they're talking about the stimulus. Oh my God, we got another free check coming next month. Um, I'm not working and I'm making more money now than I was working. What does that put it? What kind of seeds are those sowing in the heads of these young kids? I mean, it's interesting because we have a a 24 year old, right? He's just, I think he's just graduated college, does uh, social media. He does social media chatting, right? And for us, and, and his job is to say when people have questions to make sure they have answers, right? And, and so I would, is on a conference meeting with him, right? And like he has it calendared, like there's like the dates for government stimulus and checks and stuff. Like it's it's a full part of his lifestyle, you know. And it and it's an expectation, you know. And like for me, I I never would have expected um, government handouts. And at the same time, I've benefited from them, right? I benefited from them from a Pell grant, right? Going to school, I benefited from them from government loans, right? Going going to school and stuff, and got you know helped me get through through college and stuff. And so I, I, I do appreciate, um, them in, in, in that way. Right. Um, and say, so it's like, it's a, it's a unique balance, but I don't believe if it, if, if there should be parameters, if you're, if you're going to receive assistance, right. I received assistance and I went to school. If I didn't go to school, I wasn't going to receive assistance. Right. And I, I mean, and granted I put myself through college. So I, the government assistance was there and it was helpful, but at the same time I had had to pay back my student loans and stuff too. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, how about the government investing in you with a grant? You become educated, go start making a bunch of money and paying them income tax. Yeah. And so they always get their money. And the 50 plus people that also pay them income tax that are, that we employ. Right. right. And, and right. so that's, yeah, I mean, it goes deeper than that. Like for me, I won't, I, I won't allow my kids to like somebody holding up a sign or laying on a sidewalk with a 10 cup. I won't allow them to give those people money. Um, Cause there's no exchange. Right. right now we give money to like church who also does food kitchens sure. and some different things because I know they're going to use that money and in a way to help people that truly need it in ways that, that, that they have to have it. But at the same time, I don't, yeah, it, it's a unique balance, but I think there's a greater divide that's coming because of this. So I think there's, there's a large portion of our country that believes the way you, you and I do. Right. And I think there's also the other, the other side of it. I remember when I was on one of my auction trips in, in Philadelphia and, you know, we, we were, um, we had made an offer on a house and I'm walking away from, from the house. And there's two, these two gals sitting on the front porch of, of a house. Right. And she's like, you need to get pregnant. And I'm just kind of listening to this conversation. I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, you need to get pregnant so you can get that check, you know? And I'm thinking to myself, like, like that's, she was like 17. Couldn't have been, couldn't have been over 20. Right. And I'm just thinking to myself, that's what's created sometimes by those things. And then, but then there's the other times where it's a mom who's single, who's raising two kids, who also has a job and just needs help, you know? And so like, how do you, how do you differentiate between the two is the challenge? Yeah, that's tough. I, I, I wouldn't want to be in politics or government that they, they do, even though we all sit back and say, they're all stupid. I mean, they, they all make bad decisions it's a domino effect and it's tough. There's no easy answers in any of that stuff. Um, It's beyond my pay grade Dutch to talk about that because I just don't know. I knew when Biden took office, he was going to eat absolute shit when it came to COVID. And I'm not even saying that from a critique of him, but the way Trump ate shit. And then I looked at Biden taking away. I said, it doesn't matter who was president. Whoever went through that in 2020 was going to eat it. You know what I mean? And whoever's going through it in 2021 with this next variant is going to eat it when it comes to the perspective of who they are. Because when things are this, you know what I mean? Like, can you make right decisions without making three other wrong decisions as a consequence of it? it yeah, it's, it's tough. It's, it's, it's well, tough. I, on the same topic, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, as a landlord, um, how do you feel about this moratorium on foreclosures and the, and the additional extensions? Um, 
sorry to put you on the spot, but I think this is, what are we going to do here? We get more hate mail, right? <laughs> Being an investment company in I'm real sure. estate about this topic than anyone else, right? And what I say to people is like, like first and foremost, we're not the ones foreclosing on people, right? It's mortgage companies, it's, it's government, if it's taxes that foreclose on people. So what we do is we're buying investments. And anywhere that stuff's for sale, we're going to buy the best investment for our investors humanly possible, right? And it's like you watch the uh, the show Billions. Have you ever seen that, that show? Sure. So Bobby yeah. Axelrod's the, kind of the star character in, in Billions. And when 9-11 hit, he went out and shorted airplane stock and a bunch of other things. And that's how he made, you know, the, the, the monstrous leap. Right. And then in another, you know, scene, you know, you got firemen hating on him and, and stuff. Right. And I'm saying to myself, well, you know, you can, you can hate the, the imagery of, of something, which is, which is very true, but business is, is, is business, you know, and, and I believe in doing integrous moral business and I believe in helping people who are foreclosed on. Like, so when we buy a house, we give people more help and more assistance than anybody I've ever seen, ever seen in my life. I mean, we help people move, right? We help people, you know, we let people stay in and sell it back to them. There's all kinds of things we do. I mean, we've bought foreclosures where, you know, the roof was falling down in a, in a woman's house who had lived there for 20 years. And, you know, we immediately went and, you know, fixed, fixed the roof and, and, and her kids who had ignored it for, for 15 years. And you guys are out there. If you ever watched the Joan YouTube video we do, right. Um, and, and gave Joan a great place to live in and then, you know, rented the house back to her, you know, and, and I mean, worked out fantastically well. What I think about the moratorium, I think if somebody's really sick with COVID, I think they, they should be get help. You know, if they're in and out of hospitals and they're really sick, I think in America right now, it's bullshit. If you say you can't get a job, I think it's complete bullshit. And I also think people who don't pay their mortgages and don't pay their rent, don't pay their mortgages and don't pay their rent. And I think people who pay their mortgages and pay their rent are still paying their mortgages and paying their rent. And that's, you know, you know, we own hundreds of houses and our people who pay, pay. And our people who didn't, you know, struggled with paying or didn't pay during COVID didn't pay. And now we've worked in depth with our with our tenants to uh, get them renters assistance and walk them through the programs, right, of renters assistance with the government. And we've done exchanges and we've put people on payment plans and done as much as we could there. But the bottom line is, is if, if you don't pay for something, right, there's a consequence that is commerce. That is capitalism. That is America. Right. And if you're going to pay for something, then you deserve an exchange. And so for me, for foreclosure moratorium, the thing is the government, they shouldn't know this, but if they went and let the moratorium go, it's not like the banks are going to foreclose today. It's six months from now before the foreclosures start to hit, and the banks are going to make them as slow as humanly possible, anyways, because banks don't want to foreclose. Because when a bank forecloses, now they got a bad asset, you know, yeah. on on books, and 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 so there's there's a lot of different things with this. There's a shadow inventory um, that's going to exist for a long time, right? Um, but I think real estate's going up and up because there's not inventory, and so the best way to curb you know inflation is is to slow down the inventory maybe a, a little bit and and that's not even like putting us into a recession or putting us backwards it's more of like let's let's put the brakes on this 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 semi trailer that's going downhill on the freeway and needs to hit that dirt ramp right to slow it down so it doesn't yeah. get into an accident because what we're what, what what's going to happen is if we don't slow it down eventually there's going to be some type of accident you know right. there's going to be some type of you know catastrophe of, 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 of a different, different type, you know? And so, but it really comes down to the banks and it comes down to the ability for the banks to continue to lend. And it comes down to, you know, how's it going to change the valuations of housing? But I think, you know, people who pay, pay, people who don't pay, don't pay. And that is to me, a fundamental belief of life. And if you're in, and, and if you, even people who are on handouts, right. And who believe in handouts, the people who get handouts who pay still pay. But the people yeah. who get handouts who don't pay don't pay, right? We've had people get get that assistance and not and not pay, you know, which which is mind blowing to me. Yeah, well, what do you think about uh, under that same topic? What do you think about California and specifically L.A. County? Um, hey, if you haven't been able to pay your rent or your mortgage for the last year because of COVID, because of COVID, mm -hmm. if you had COVID, it lasted two weeks. But if you haven't been able to pay, um, we're going to pay it for you. So the government now is going to go out and start paying people's 
back rent back is that i mean is that true have you heard about that i i mean i've heard a lot of things about california right i mean i live you know in and out of california right it's not my principal residence anymore um i i, I you know believe you know that i've moved my principal residence residence to idaho right to the ranches and i didn't know that but yeah good for you and we have offices you know here in california but you know it's it there's a lot of coming and going i don't think long run being in california makes sense um for an entrepreneur for a business person um unless they change some things but maybe newsom has you know a calling coming, you know, maybe Democrats have a calling coming in California. I mean, there's, you know, some changes, you know, a guy who says puts, you know, forced mandates, you know, on, on, on a state then shows up to a restaurant, not observing any of those forced mandates. I mean, that's, it's embarrassing, you know, um, as, as you know, they, it, it's fascinating in this world we live in, you know, you know, New York is, is very similar where they had a man who, you know, is very much accused of, of, hiding, you know, deaths in, in, in nursery, nursery homes and, and assisted care and, and, and other things, you know, that, that were out there and then, and then, you know, leaves office because, you know, of the sexual harassment stuff, you know, it's like, what else is out there, you know, that's going to be uncovered about, you know, Newsom, or it's going to be uncovered about the governmental policies. And, you know, let me be clear, everybody, like, I don't get into a lot of politics on the podcast, but I don't know at this point you have any choice. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. So I don't I don't fall into fall into either category. I have beliefs on both both sides of the fence. But what I t- will tell you I am is someone who believes in our rights, and I believe yeah. our rights, you know, to to raise our families. I believe in our rights um, to raise our families the way we choose to. I believe in our own medical rights, right? Um, you know, uh, people know that that I you know I don't believe in in vaccination. You know, um, I also believe that if you want to vaccinate, you should go and vaccinate. And I also believe that you're right. You know, and and so. It's interesting. I mean, what do you what do you think about the whole medical rights thing and, and, and the vaccination thing? Yeah, so you threw me some someone. Here's a good one for you. <laughs> no, you, you and I are aligned, Dutch, on on all fronts. We've had lots of conversations, and we're always on the same page. Um, I I believe in constitutional rights. I mean, I think we're guaranteed those rights. I thought we were until this happened, and let's just hope that Newsom gets recalled. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing here, but. You know, um, it's funny that you relocated. Uh, so you're gonna, you're spending 183 days outside of California to meet the residency requirements. Yes, I am. Um, yeah. So yeah. I don't think you know that I just bought a house in Texas mm-hmm. and I'm relocating to Austin. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's you know like and then 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 you know like with with people like us you know that leaves a void. You know like 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 long term wise, how many people aren't going to um, continue to grow and work or, or continue to, to blossom from a business standpoint. I know your business will continue to run in California as will mine, but there'll also be now be, you know, new people hired in other States and there'll be new things that are happening in other parts of the country. And that's just, that's just the reality. Cause we don't, we don't really have any choice. The, the writing's on the wall for California within five years, the state's going to have serious problems. They already mm-hmm. have big problems, but you know, what, what's driving people like us away, we're, we're, we're big taxpayers in this state. What's going to happen? You know, we already know all the big tech companies are moving out of Silicon Valley. They're all setting up spots. It, it, Austin is booming like crazy, right? Yeah, I was the, just there it's the Silicon Valley days. of the South. There's, there's 30 cranes in the air around the city. There's building commercial residential everywhere. Um, California, the tax base tax revenue is falling. You know, it's not first time. I think in history, I heard uh, there's a net migration out of the state. Um, and it's, it's the, it's the, it's the wealthy taxpayers that are leaving and they're leaving a base with no taxes, right? There, there's mm-hmm. going to be a big deficit. Cal, all they're talking about in Sacramento is they need to raise taxes and we better do something about stopping people from leaving like a California exit tax. Mm-hmm. So this, this AB 2088, I think is the bill number, which we're deathly afraid of. We think they're going to try to push it through. If Newsom does not get recalled, basically says, um, if you leave California, we can come after you for 10 years after you leave. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that doesn't scare the shit out of people, uh, anybody making a decent amount of money here and paying taxes in those higher brackets, it should, they're going to raise, you know, they're going to raise capital gains tax here. They're going to raise the top tax tier. I think 16.8, we're already the highest in the country at 13.3. So we're getting the hell out of here. Everybody I know, every investment partner, every business owner, Everybody I know is going to Tennessee, Nevada, um, uh, Texas, Florida. Idaho. 
Idaho is another one where we're all kind of moving on. So um, California, I think the writing's on the wall. I mean, the, the Idaho one was a, a quick and easy one for us, right? But we're also, like in October, we're, we're headed to uh, uh, Florida, right? Uh, where, you know, my business partner, Amy, you know, where she lives yes. and we run, you know, a pretty significant office out of there as well. And so we're also going to be, my wife and I are going to go house shopping and, and, and look at houses down there and, and you know, try, try to get a feel for it. You know, my wife's not spent much time in Florida, so it's not as familiar to her and stuff. And I thought I could never, ever get her to leave California. I thought that was an impossibility like her family's here you know my wife is hispanic and i mean uh you know even you know during you know non-covid times you know a birthday party could be you know and i'm talking about a small get together that could be 40 50 60 people right during covid it's more like 15 people you know 20 whatever our pod is right um or whatever our pod was so um but it's yeah so we're looking at looking at housing in, in florida because you know that's another place you know i think is very fascinating from from uh, a world standpoint in the sense that, you know, no state ta income taxes. Um, they're, they have a lot of favorable benefits for bringing in businesses and entrepreneurs, yeah. which is, which is pretty cool. Now, why did you choose uh, Austin? Um, well, two reasons. I mean, it's hard, you know, because Joe Rogan chose Austin. Is that why? <laughs> no, no, Elon Musk. That's Elon why. Musk. Um, no, the, the reason Austin is because uh, I'll be honest, it, it is, it's partially business that, we are joint venturing mm -hmm. uh, our business with a partner. So uh, that's, we're in the middle of due diligence. We're kicking off that partnership in the next couple of months. They're based out of Austin. That's one reason, um, but that wasn't mandatory. The other reason is we, we spent, and I'm not sure if I told you this, that my wife and I took a, a 30 day RV trip through the mm -hmm. South um, from Georgia, all the way through Florida, both coasts um, into Louisiana, Tennessee, we were looking at the area to see if it was a possibility for us. Um, growing up and living in Southern California, this is paradise, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know that. Uh, I look out the window this way and I see Big Bear and I see snow and, you know, in the wintertime and the fall. I go 20 minutes that way and I'm down in Carlsbad at the beach. Uh, you can't beat it. The we I mean, right now, today, go outside. The weather is, it's cloudy and overcast, but it's cool. And this it's is 80, August. 80 plus degrees, yeah. And go 80, to Florida right to now and see how you feel about that ninety-five percent humidity. Plus humidity. But I grew up in Iowa, so in Iowa you have those extremes. So during the summer you get like a hundred percent humidity, a hundred percent, hundred. You can get a hundred degree temperature and a hundred percent humidity. And during the winter you can get negative a hundred mile, <laughs> negative a hundred wind chill. You know, yeah, um, and so you get those extremes. So the humidity's never actually bugged me as much as it it probably bugs some people. Right. And so that's what I'm going to see with my wife and stuff and, and see, you know, how that feels on her and, and those kind of yeah. things. I mean, not, we have options, right? So we're, we're blessed. Right. I mean, no matter where we move to, we're going to, we're going to work our asses off, you know, of and, and work hard and, and continue to build, you know, for, for our investors. The, the bottom line for us is, you know, for me, it's happy wife, happy life, you know, like that's All just a fundamental, of course. And if you want to stay married and you want to, you want to continue to be married, happy wife, happy life. And so relationships are more important than money. So, you know, having all the money in the world by yourself, no one to share about, no one to share it with and love, you know, doesn't mean anything. So I think you and I, again, we're aligned on all the, we've had those, those discussions. But life we're, is easier with more money. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it does make life more easy. I mean, more I just places. growing up very, very poor. Right. And, you know, like I lived on my own at 16, my parents, you know, you know, the story. So the, the bottom line is like, Yes, I agree. And people are like, life's not about, like, money's not about happiness, right? Like, money doesn't create happiness, and life's not all about money. And I, I agree with that. But if you're happy, right, then you'll find even more joy as you're able to do more things that you choose to do, right? If my kids get sick, there's no medical expense I can't do to take care of them, even though my kids have really never have to go to the doctor because we live an incredibly, you know, healthy lifestyle for them, right? But they might. And it might be that point in time, you know, when I want to go move out of California, I do have that option. Right. And you like can move to Austin. You have that option when somebody is very, very poor. Sometimes some of those options aren't there for them. Right. But it, I believe that's always been a see to me. That's part of the American dream. Right. The pursuit of happiness to me is, you know, you own a home, you own a business, um, you know, you, you, you work a professional life. You can be proud of, you know, one, you know, one or the other. And, and so that's, you know, per, for me, part of the American dream. What do you think the American dream is? 
what do I think the American, well, I think the American dream has changed a lot. It used to be own a home, you know, like my dad, my parents preached to me growing up, um, go to college, get an education, get a good job, buy a house, get married, have kids, invest in the stock market, get a pension, get a, get a 401k, right? Um, I decided not to go to college. My parents were beside themselves. They both had master's degrees. Uh, my dad had two masters, one in astronomical engineering. He was a Mensa guy. I mean, highly educated. I hated school. I was a C and D student all the way through school, barely graduated high school, went to a, a semester of junior college, dropped out, hated it. Um, I wanted to learn how to make money. I didn't want to learn about um, and now, you know, what's funny is now I, I appreciate history and art and all the things that I push back on as a young person. Um, I have regrets not, a, not to have gotten an education early on. Um, I spent, you know, probably a good 15 years learning the hard way, failing and then making adjustments, failing and making adjustments. Um, so um, the American dream, you know, is freedom. You know, and so I, ha I had somebody ask me recently, not too long ago, a few months, what does money mean to me? Um, and it's kind of the same thought. So what is money? You know, we know um, money, it's fiat currency, it's debt, represents debt, technically. But what does, what's the value in money? To me, money offers choices and freedom. The more money you have, the more choices you have, the more freedom you have, right? So the American dream to me is to have freedom of choice. If I want to move to Austin and start a new life there for my family, I can do that. Um, so, you know, that, and I think that is money, right? I mean, having money gives you freedom and choices. If you, if you don't have any money, you, and you wake up at six in the morning to go to work, you don't have choices. You've got to get to work because you got to pay the bills and put food on the table. So the more money you have, yes, it gives you more choices. It gives you more freedom. And I think we're in a country now where there's more access, right, to that knowledge bank than there ever has been before. Like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, if someone told me they lived in, you know, an inner city or a ghetto, right, and, you know, they just, you know, they couldn't see a way out. They couldn't see a light at the end of the tunnel, and it was very, you know, there was a lot of blindness there, you know, because cause it just wasn't access, in today's internet world, what I love about today's internet world is anyone can get access to information. Anyone right. can get access to knowledge. Anyone can get access to things that they couldn't get access. I mean, someone, you know, who, you know, had a crappy library where they went to school when they were growing up now has access to the Smithsonian, now has access to, you know, one of, you know, like that kind of museum or, or just different things, you know, the yeah. Congress library or the law school libraries they want to read. I mean, people have access to anything they want to ask. And yes, people could have gotten access before, but not nearly as easy as today, which I think, you know, to not, you know, achieve more, I would like to see, you know, that, that bottom, you know, 10%, you know, in, 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 in society from a financial standpoint that are going through such struggles, there is a way for them to get access today. There is a way for them to get knowledge bank. And for me, it was a little bit different, whereas my parents didn't go to college, right? My parents, uh, my mom might, might've had a degree. I, I try to remember um, just cause they died, you know, when I was, you know, still, still a teenager. So it's hard for me to remember that. I know my dad who I think was, you know, a genius from, from all accounts from everybody that was around him, you know, but they never went to college and, but because they wrote, you know, addiction and other things, I would look at where I grew up and I'd be like, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like the people that I see struggling. I don't want to be like, like, I, like this isn't the life that I, that I want. And so to me, school was an access, a way to climb that ladder, right? The way to climb through. It didn't matter to me, like grades, not grades, like it just, you know, for me, whatever I have to accomplish, I accomplish. And so like to me, the, 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 the school part of it and then athletics and sports part of it was just a way out. You know, it wasn't right. till I was out and I finally made a little bit of money. And I was like, well, it's not about money. It's not, I'm, you know, I'm frustrated. I got money and I'm still frustrated, you know? Right. And, but then I took that money and then I bought access, you know, and then I continued to invest in my growth and I continued to, to invest. And, and obviously through sports, I, a lot of growth happened for me through, through some of the different coaches and different people that I was around and, and then that environment and stuff. But yeah, that, that access is, is huge. I, I see different thought leaders kind of criticize 
college, right? And I'm like, you know, for me, it doesn't matter, right? The path for some is college. The path for some is not college. You can be successful with that college. You can be successful with college. And for me, what I like about some, some of, you know, my college grads that come through is I know they have an ability to learn at least. You know, they have yeah. an ability to access research information. They don't sometimes have the street smarts. They sometimes don't have common sense. They sometimes lack other things that some of my people who didn't go to college do have and, and are able to do incredibly well well for us. And so I, it, to me, it doesn't really matter. It comes down to the person. And even when we're hiring, I'm like, give me a, a, an incredible, phenomenal person who wants to grind, is willing to do anything to achieve and succeed in their, their job. And I'll teach them how to do their job, right? And, and, and granted, there's certain unique abilities, like your son being a, a an amazing graphic designer. Sometimes there's certain things that are like a singer, you know, they have certain creative artistic that you can't teach sometimes a gift. You know, right. a gift is a little bit different, but, you know, whether it's accounting or it's investor relations, different, you know, whether it's our real estate people on our team. I mean, we have people on our real estate team that have gifts and they can find deals and I can't teach teach the way they find deals. Right. right. They they right. find deals that other people just can't. I have a gift for that. Right. I can find a deal like, you know, in a, in, a, in a shoe. I can find a deal. I don't know. I just can always find it. Well, that's yeah. knowledge. Yeah. I mean, you have the knowledge. So mm -hmm. it's again, like we said, knowledge is the real money. When mm -hmm. you have that knowledge, you can go make money anywhere. Um, you know, that's, there was a book or, you know, I forget what it was, uh, if you lost everything, you know, and we dropped you in a city with nothing, you know, how would you survive? Um, and I've played through those scenarios in my head before too, like what would be the first step and how would you find that, that piece of food and how I have no doubt in my mind, I'm a hundred percent confident, um, within 30 days, I would own a house or an apartment. I'd have, a, I'd have a business, I'd have money. It's because, so what I want to comment on what you had said about college or no college and things like that. There's so many different paths to take. I, I think you would agree that it all exists inside your head. And so, you know, you have to believe in your own abilities. Like I, my confidence levels in myself are so high. I believe I can fly, you know, people got to stop me from jumping off the building sometimes because I'm hundred percent positive. I'm not going to crash. I'm going to fly. Um, sometimes you need a little, a little, you know, a little check. Well, you, there. Do a, you did get a pilot license and you, you, you can actually <laughs> well, fly, but yes. So that, that helped. Right. So I don't have to jump. I can just get in the plane. Um, but having, having those grounded people around you, like my wife, she, she's like that. She's not a big risk taker. When I say, Hey, we're going to put everything in. Um, we're going to move all of this from all these other things we've been doing. We're going to give it all to Dutch because I trust him and I like what he's doing and he's smart. She says, whoa, 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 I need to go meet this guy and his wife and his family. You know, so then I told you all that. But um, it's nice to have that check. But, you know, it's interesting for me. What was stressful for me was that um, I could always survive, right? Like I knew how to survive. Like you could put me in any situation. I could figure out how to survive. Any environment, it doesn't matter. Financial, sports, it didn't matter. I know how to survive. I know how to understand a situation and survive. And so, but once I was past survival, right? It's like kind of now what, what's the mindset? Like I'm okay. Family, house, car, bills, insurance, um, money in the bank, like what, no stress to get to that point. And even the ups and downs and different things like low blood pressure, like easy for me. But then when I started to say, okay, now let's leap, right? Let's leap. Let's leap from, you know, 10 employees to 20, 20 to 40, Right. And now we're in that leap. We're going to go for probably from 40 to 80, you know, team members, you know, in the next, you know, probably before 12 months from now, we'll be at 80 people as a company. And yes. and as I do those leaps, some of those leaps were more stressful for me than 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 that, that start a business, grow a business, get it up and running. I, I mean, I've done it a dozen times, you know, throughout my life. And so and, but then. There was a rebalancing when I rechanged the knowledge equation, rechange the vision equation of, 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 of what we were going to continue to build and, and grow and stuff. And so talk about for you, like when you go through evolutions like that, or maybe you don't, I don't know. You tell me. Well, of course I do. Mm -hmm. um, like right now. So this is a great example of where I'm at in my life right this second Dutch. You know, I've, I run five different companies. Um, uh, I'm the CEO of five different companies. I have people that run them, you know, obviously I'm not doing it all, but um, where I've taken all those companies has been easy compared to where we're at now with e-com because what happened with COVID, the world kind of shifted and understood e-com is the future. 
the people that weren't already buying on Amazon, the holdouts that had to go down to Walmart and, and Best Buy realized you don't have to do that anymore. So we've seen, you know, like the growth numbers in e-com in general are massive, you know, 70, 80%, you know, year over year, just in one year, businesses are doubling. Um, supply chain is out of control uh, globally. That's our biggest problem. We can't get product. We can't get containers. We can't, everything is slowing down because of that. But um, the evolution I'm in now is, is where our business is at. I've never been here before. And so I always used to say, I think it's so weird that somebody would start a company and grow it and then hire a CEO. Like that's stupid, but you don't know that until you're there. Like where I'm at now is I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Like this business that where we're at in the scaling, I've never done it. I don't know how to do it. I'm constantly trying to educate myself about it. And I'm in a position where I have to do one of two things, hire somebody smarter than me to be my boss, which is really, really tough for someone like me. Um, or partner with a company that has a bigger, a bigger mastermind behind them. And so a little more palatable for me, I'm an ego guy, right? It'd be kind of hard for me to be reporting to a CEO every day. I would just rather retire and go do something else. So my evolution is realizing what I don't know and coming to grips with that and admitting that I'm in uncharted territory. I should probably uh, lean on people a little smarter than me. And that's what we're doing. We're joint venturing with people that are smarter than us. It, it's interesting because the fascinating people, what people don't understand is the more you learn about business, the more you grow, the more experience you have about business, the more you realize you don't know. <laughs> right. Right. Like I can, I can go start at 50, probably different industries, 50 different businesses. I could probably go and start and succeed in, but you going from, you know, you know, I just, we just did a total, you know, tabulation on assets and, and it won't, it may or may not happen before the end of this year. Right. But we'll cross, you know, the, the nine figure mark, right. In total assets. And yes. that's a whole different yeah. ball game. You know, when you're talking about managing that kind of portfolio, managing that, that kind of thing. And so for me, I've got to learn more. I've got to go attain more knowledge. I've got to go gr grab more knowledge. But every time I grab another piece of knowledge, there's another bank of open information. Like one of the banks, you know, that it had to open up for me is compliance. Like the compliance, I literally, you know, uh, don't know what it's like, you know, to, um, never mind. I'm not going to go there. I say that, said that the <laughs> wrong way. Right. I don't know what it's like to grab my ankles, but, but I feel like from a compliance standpoint, I've been forced to grab my ankles a few times. And it's like, I, I can't believe how much, you know, red tape I have to comb through within, within what we do. And so for me, there's this massive knowledge bank, but then for us, you know, one of the next phases, you know, and I don't know if that's five years from now, three years from now, sometimes I try to let go of timeframes. People, lots of times people try to do like these timeframes. I'm going to be here in three years, here in two years. For me, certain timeframes I let go of, we're going to be, you know, we're going to have to, some point in time, there's going to be a potentially be an IPO, right? At some point in time, there's, there's a time where, you know, we're publicly, you know, uh, non-traded stock now, but when we become a public, you know, a, tr a traded stock, the whole, the whole, the whole game takes another adventure and there's a whole nother level of compliance there. And as I've done the compliance to get to where we are now, there's just so much, I don't know. And I hate compliance. I'm, I'm, I'm a creator, I'm a visionary builder. And, and if I don't have someone, you know, in charge of compliance that really knows their, their stuff and, and, you know, um, you know, won't be able to do what I want to accomplish. So. Yeah. That's high level stuff, man. That's you gotta you gotta get some additional experts. That, that's what I yeah. do. I lean on people smarter than me. So, but real estate's yeah. a little easier, I think, in some ways to scale. You know, like like than e-commerce in in the sense that like in e-commerce, when you go from fifty million to a hundred million, or even from ten million to to twenty million, the infrastructure, the the supply chain, the control of products, the vendors, I mean, all of it changes whole game. Right. Sometimes in real estate, like we make a $10 million leap and nothing changes for us on how we run the business and grow the business and stuff. So, I mean, you'll, you've been through those leaps too, where things don't have to change very much as you increase revenue, but then there's times when you got to make massive change. Yeah. I agree. The business model is way different. So in real estate to me, and it's not simple, it's, mm -hmm. it, there's, it's still, there's still, it's a complex business when you start scaling, but um, it's kind of a rinse and repeat with real estate, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, my experience with it is much lower than yours, but um, rinse and repeat, buy that building, 
uh, force appreciation, max deductions and, and, and depreciation, and sell it, rent it, do it again, do it again, do it again. With with this, it's the skill set that we had that got us to where we're at. We need a whole different skill set to go to the next level, and we don't have it. So we either have to hire it, learn it, or partner with it. Those are the options. So or stay small. What's that? Or stay small. Or stay small, which is also an option, but not for me. Yeah, it's not an option for me. I would go through um, these conversations with with my partners all the time because I was like, you realize that like there's going to be a period of time where we don't make any more money, and they they like that was a difficult thing for them. But I was like, you guys have to understand, like we're at this size, we're making really great income. But if we want to go from a five million dollar to a fifty million dollar company, there's going to be a gap in there when we're really not going to make make more money. And because, because, I mean, we might make a little bit more here or a little bit more there, but the reality is, is like money is going to be, is going to be invested into infrastructure and building and, and continuing to build and those kind of things. And, and yeah. I mean, I, I do make more now than I did at, did it being a $5 million company, but at the same time, it wasn't until we hit like certain thresholds, there was, there was gaps because sometimes staying small is a great way from a lifestyle standpoint to make a choice for me, yeah, it's be. just not really an option. It's not in my DNA as a, as a yeah. person. And, and mine either. You, you just reminded me of a back when I, I long time ago, 20 years ago, I, I had, I still have the company live mm-hmm. site security solutions. I, I used to be a private investigator by trade early on. And I used to do surveillance and, and all kinds of stuff. And then the, and I came to my dad. I know what people day. are I thinking. Like what's, I know people are thinking like, what's Ted's, best private investigator story <laughs> of all time, but I've tried to get him out of him over the years, unless you got one, one you want to share. You know, these days you see so much on TV. I, there's nothing I could say that would shock anybody from, you know, watching the workers comp guys, you know, limp into a doctor's office on crutches. And then, you know, an hour later, they're out playing flag football with their kids running around. That was, that's common, you know, and, and you see it on TV. You never used to see it on TV, but um, the story that, that came to my mind when you said about scaling, about, about yeah. making less money, I, I, was, I, was, I was growing my, my business, my private investigation business in Arizona. I came back to California for a holiday with my dad, my family, and we're eating dinner. And I was all proud that my company had just done a million bucks. It was Christmas. End of year, I had crested a million for the first time ever, um, which you know was a huge accomplishment. This is probably like 1995. And I told my dad, you know, and I said, Hey, you know, my business just, we're going to do a million bucks, 1.2 million bucks this year. And he, he wasn't impressed. He goes, um, that's neat. Are you making more money? And I was like, you know, F you, like you can't even, you can't even appreciate. And I went back and it just, it drove me crazy. I went back and I started digging into the numbers because, you know, you know, I don't take, you don't take as an owner, you don't take money until there's money there. You know, you take a small salary and, Hopefully you get distributions, dividends, and, mm-hmm. and bonuses. I went back and looked and I made like 18, 20% less money the year I did that million bucks. And that changed my perspective on business moving forward. Yeah, growth and scaling is expensive. It's abs- yeah. absolutely expensive. And yeah, and, right. and so that's something that's, you know, very, very fascinating when, when you look at business. But you also have to pay yourself. I mean, I think that's a mistake a lot of new entrepreneurs make is they don't... Um, pay themselves. And if you don't create a new temperature for paying yourself, then you'll run the business and never pay yourself. And I I think, you know, back 14 or 15 years ago, that was a mistake that I didn't really fully understand, you know, when I was in my 20s and, and growing and building my businesses. I remember building multiple different businesses that crossed the million dollar mark. And I was, you know, making like 60 to $80,000 a year because, you know, I just, you know, that's what I needed to live. And that's right. how I, in the beginning as an entrepreneur, that's how I always paid myself was what do I need? What's my basic, you know, amount of money I need to need, need to live. And so, yeah, it's California is expensive, by the way, if you're thinking, you know, if you're in your twenties and 60 to $80,000 is a good amount of money, it's, it's hardly anything here at all. <laughs> no. You could barely rent an apartment making $60,000 a year here. So you'd be renting a room yeah. in somebody else's apartment. Yeah, it's very true. We have a, a guy moving from Florida and he's uh paid $1,500, uh, for a nice two bedroom apartments and, and things. And, and, you know, here it's, you know, 3000 is what he's going to pay to get Eve something even close. So yeah. it's pretty crazy. If you want to start a business, California is not the place to do it. No, nope. unfortunately used nope. to be, 
And I, you, I hate that. It, I hate, I hate like hating on a place or hating on a, you know, like it, it but it's just fact that it, you know, it, it's not, it's not productive for people like you and I, it's not productive for someone who wants to start a business. And I sit there and, you know, if you drive down the freeway in California and you sit there and you look at the endless construction that never seems to improve or go anywhere. And I'm like, where does the money go? There's a couple of places. It's pretty obvious where the money disappears to, you know, and, and and I'm not even accusing from a point of theft. I'm accusing from a point of just mismanagement and, 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 and it's, it's atrocious. And, you know, hopefully there's a big swing coming in in the, in the next couple months, and maybe somebody's watching this and they already know the results by the time they watch it. But uh, we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. Hope. So, but I agree with you. I don't like talking politics because it, it it's I always say it's outside of my pay grade. I, I don't understand the domino effect that happens with. Yeah. I mean, like when you got to make when you got to make a decision to save a soldier's life, and and it could cost twelve older soldiers their life. When you got to make a decision. You know, the Afghanistan thing, like, ooh, like, ah, like, you I, know the- my brother, I, I, like, this is my older brother, 20, 20 years retired, special operations, command sergeant major army. I mean, I don't know how much of his life was spent, you know, with that being a, a major portion of his life or the people that reported to him's life or people he reported to his lives, right? But I, like, I, you just gave a country to, the single greatest terrorism threat, maybe not the single greatest threat, but the single greatest terrorism threat to America, you just gave them a country. Right. To, and a bunch, 80 to billion, train 80 billion and hate. worth of stuff. Yeah. To train and hate. To train uh, and hate. So, but I, we, we can't go any further. We got to wrap up for today. Okay. Um, we're, we're, we're at that, we're at that, that hour mark. Um, I appreciate it. I, you know, the cool part is we, we just dive down different things. I think people can get some amazing cool business things from this. I think there's politically, I think this, this political conversation you and I have, I think everybody struggles with that now. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's disheartening in, in, in that, that fascination of it. But then like for you guys, like you and I, we just kind of like, like Seabiscuit, like with the blinders, with the racehorse, we kind of just block that whole part of the world as, and what are the rules? And so we're going to go play to win once we know the rules. So that's it. hundred percent. You know, like one of your guys, Patrick, asked me about when we were in Boise. He said, what's what's the one p- single piece of advice you can give me? I'm a young guy trying to come up. I want to do. And I said, the most important thing is set goals for yourself. Understand where you're going. Don't just get in your. Most people are in their cars, driving around in circles, looking for something, but they don't know what they're looking for. You know, get clear on what you want. Um, how are you going to be successful if you don't if you haven't defined success for you? So, you know, I always, that's always the biggest thing for me is, is set goals, put them in writing, understand what you want, get your head around it and commit to it. You can have anything you want if you, if you commit to it and you work hard. So yeah, like, like uh, our clear next goal as a company, right. Is to hit a billion dollars in assets, right? That's the the clear next goal. And I let go of sometimes how we're going to get there. I kind of let go of that because, because for me, part of that is going to be created through the work and created through the opportunities and the opportunities you capitalize on. And the ones you say no to are just as important. And so we have that clear exact vision, but then I let go, you know? And so for me, that's was one of the hardest things for me to learn as a successful entrepreneur was like, you got to let go of some of that control. You got to let go of some of that, that, that how, not that I'm not working at the how, not that I'm not exploring the how, not that I'm not diving in the how, but I don't say this is the only way we're going to get there. Because because if you say that's the only way, you're going to have blind spots. Right. So. All right. Let's, ra- let's wrap up. Hey. Otherwise, we're going to go into five more subjects and, and hey, you know, I appreciate one, you, brother. One, one more thing I wanted to share with you, because this is kind of a, it's a, Dive it's a cool in. story. We can I, go uh, another hour if you want. I mean. I got, I got to get back to work. But, I know you do. Um, I know you do. I appreciate you taking other, the time today, too. I, I miss my, I already missed my 215 call, so I've got 10 more minutes. But um the, the story I wanted to share with you is about my son, Dylan, my other son, he's 23. So we're doing okay in the business, right? He's a partner. Uh, we hit our goals last quarter and we're going to do bonuses. And Dylan has always wanted a Mercedes. Okay. So he says, um, and I said, dude, you know, we're trying to teach the other people here that uh, we don't buy liabilities. We buy assets. How could you go out and buy a Mercedes and say that you're an investor and you're a smart money guy you're an idiot. If you just go get your bonus and you go buy a Mercedes, that's, that's stupid. Don't do it. And he goes, well, I really want the Mercedes. And I'm like, find a better way. And so he came back and now he's invested in the re right. He, I think he's even working on a JV deal. Um, 
he, he's very savvy. He comes back the next day and says, Hey dad, I, I got it all figured out. I've got a $30,000 bonus invested in the REIT. It's going to put off X number at the end of the year divided by 12. I can go lease that Mercedes and have up to a $685 a month payment. And I will never touch my $30,000 principal. And I'm like, dude, thank you. Like, thank you, God, that like the kids were listening and they learned these concepts. You, you tell that concept to a hundred people, most of them don't get it. You know, they don't think that way, but that's the way people should be thinking. Put your money into assets that spit off return, use the return to buy liabilities. I, I just think that's a great story for a 23 year old kid. I'm proud of my son. It really is. It really is. I think it's a good way to wrap up that you're proud of your son. Um, and I think there's no, when we grow up, there's no better legacy than your children. Right. And if your children get it, I mean, it, it feels good. I, I, you know, my brother's kids, you know, saw my brother grow up with, uh, you know, working 80 hours a week and my older brother and I, me trying to get him to come over for a lifetime. And now, you know, he came over a couple you know, four or five years ago to work for us and work with us. And now he leads, you know, a market and he does incredibly well. And his 15 year old is literally like a real estate ninja. Like his 15 year old can awesome. analyze deals and find deals and everything else. And I look at his older two sons that are, you know, 23, 24 and the other ones, I think 21 or 22. And I look at them and they don't have that skill set, you know, and, and the fact that, you know, they, I mean, we, op I open doors for them all the time, but they just don't, you know, they don't have that part of that skill set and, and he'll have that his whole life. And I, you know, I'm hoping, you know, my boys, you know, have that same kind of thing, but they're four and five. So I'll worry about that <laughs> a little bit later. Oh, I worry okay, about it now. Sure. I mean, my, my son, Mike actually came over and handed me money and he said, dad, invest this and get, buy me a house. So <laughs> well, they pretty hear cool everything. feeling. It's a pretty cool they, feeling. They, they hear everything. I think your kids are going to be just fine. All right, brother. We'll chat soon. Hey, good talking to you Dutch. Take care, bud. Good. Thank you for listening to the hard money podcast with Dutch Mendenhall. Don't forget to visit our website, economicactivist.com. That's www.economicactivist.com.